Welcome to Building Safe Workplaces, a podcast where experts dedicated to workplace health and safety review relevant industry topics. This podcast is brought to you by the Health and Safety Council. Hello, and welcome to Building Safe Workplaces, casual talk about serious matters. I'm your host, Tommy Nip. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, Mr. Rod Branch. Rod? Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Uh, Today, our topic we're going to tackle is going to be leadership. So, uh, Rod, tell us a little bit about what makes you such an expert on leadership. (laughs) Well, most of it is my uh, 41 years uh, post-college experience. But I started out, I I mean, I had roustabout experiences during colleges, but uh, during college experience. But but then I I got into uh, engineering. I was a, a a drilling and production engineer, including Alaska, for a couple of years. Then after that, uh, I was a lobbyist, so I did some Washington work, and then I got into human resources about 27 years ago. And during that time, I I advanced up the the HR chain and and realized, you know, I'm doing this with an engineering degree. So I went back to school in my 50s, and that's when sort of the world opened up for me and leadership became something I was very interested in, and it suddenly made sense. And I could look back on my 41 years and say, wow, this is why that happened. This is why that didn't happen. Oh, and here's how I can teach these kinds of things to people coming along after me. So right. that's what it was about. So when you figured out, when you grew up and finally decided what you wanted to do, you went back to school in your 50s, right? I did. And my only regret is that I don't, I don't have much runway left now, you know. I'm going to be reminded of the Beatles song. I'll be 64 here in a few weeks. So, uh, But I'm, uh, I'm going to continue doing this as long as I can. Great, great. So in your 27 years, what? tell us a little bit, what 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 revelations did you take away from? It's It's interesting because... You went back to school and you discovered all those mistakes you made previously, right? So share with us a little bit about that. Well, I think the biggest revelation was that, you know, we send people to leadership training year after year after year, and they don't seem to get better at it. And we keep identifying that they need leadership training, and so we keep sending them back, and they just don't get better at it. And that was the big puzzle for me. Well, i got to figure this out. Why is it not effective? And they're, te- they're taught the same thing every time to the point that they can actually recite what it means to be a leader, but they can't seem to do it. And it's because it's really hard. It's hard to do personal change because it requires personal change to go from where you are to where you need to be as a leader. And it's difficult. People have been successful up to that point doing what they do. They don't see a reason to do it. it seems like a lot of work. It's a lot of stress to change what you do. And, and that's where we land. Because really, leadership is is the ability to change yourself, right? Sure. I mean, you can you you can learn everything, you can read the instructions, you can do you can do whatever, but the actual change in your behavior has to be a conscious decision that you make. It absolutely is, and and in this industry, in industrial relation type jobs, you find that it's a it's a masculine business, and I discovered that caring. The word caring, the action of caring, is at the core of all values, mission, vision, values. It's at the core. Without caring, you can't get there. But to discuss caring in an environment with a bunch of masculine people in a masculine business is very difficult. So I have a a story when you're ready that I'll tell you that will relate to everybody, and they'll be going, oh, I get it now. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Share. So uh, when I finished my graduate degree, the CFO of the company took me to lunch, and he said, hey, if you could write on the back of a matchbook 
what you learned in graduate school, what would you write? I thought for a second, I, I'd just write the word caring. Well, you know, he's a CFO. He's one of those jobs like engineering where you're not really trained to care about anything. And so he rocks back in his chair and says, that's ridiculous. I said, well, let me give you an example. I said, Joe, what if we allowed you to hire your daughter to be your assistant? And we're going to put her in a cubicle right outside your office. How are you going to make her successful? And he thought for a second, and he came up with all the right answers. I'm going to introduce her to all the right people, give her all the right resources, ask her you know, what the next 30 days might look like for her, what does she want to learn, what is her career goal, and line all that up. Mm -hmm. I said, well, of course she would. But Joe, what about that person three cubicles down that's worked for you for three years? You don't exactly know what her last name is. You're not sure where she lives, much less what her career goals are going to be. What's the only difference in those two people? It's how much you care. Right. And I'm not asking you to care as much for your own flesh and blood that's working right outside your office as you would for a person who's just been a coworker for three years. But somewhere between doing everything you possibly can for that person and not knowing their last name is a big gap. And for that person, any movement that you have on that continuum between doing everything and not knowing their last name is a huge lever for them. And when I tell that story to people, even in the most masculine environments, they go, oh, I get it. Yeah. I understand the difference now. It works at tailgate talks. It works at calling somebody out when they're doing something crazy from a safety standpoint. It's because you care. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. That's the lever that you can pull. Yeah. And I heard a saying one time that says, uh, nobody cares what you know until they know what, how much you care. Right. And, and so that, that goes hand in hand with what you're saying. Right. Yeah. But people don't believe that. I think they don't believe it. And when, so I've, I've come up with a system, uh, I call it the leadership system mm -hmm. and caring is at the center. And if you think of concentric circles, there's caring and then there's respect and then there's trust. And if you get caring, respect and trust, right, then you can start talking about having empathy for people and all that satchel of life they carry on their back every day and being sympathetic to that, mm -hmm. that maybe they're having a bad day, not because of work, but because of that stuff. Something at home or something they're bringing in to work with them. As much as we try to separate, it's still difficult to do. We're all human beings, right? And you've got to be vulnerable. You can't be the know-it-all. If you're the know-it-all, they're never going to share that stuff with you. And then there's self-awareness. You've got to know how your leadership style is. And if you get all six of those things right, then you have psychological safety. Psychological safety is the environment that you create that allows people to say, I don't know, I don't understand, I didn't get that the first time, I know I was listening, but I didn't quite get it all, but you create this environment where it's okay for people to say, I don't know, and I don't understand, or I made a mistake. And then that opens the door for after action reviews where people can be honest about, yeah, I, I went to the training and I should have known that, I just didn't do it for some reason, I got distracted. So, if, but, but you can't just jump right into psychological safety. You just can't declare someday to all your team at the, at the tailgate, we, we have psychological safety today. You gotta earn that. Right. And it starts with caring, respect, and trust. Those are the core. And so how would, how would someone go about building that? I mean, where would you start? I mean, there's a lot of people out there who, who take leadership courses all the time, but where do you start? If, you, if, I'm, a, if I'm a leader out there right now, What's something I can start doing to try to build that, that respect and that, that trust and that caring? The first thing, Tommy, is to understand that everybody's on a continuum of leadership. Some do it pretty well, 
not everybody does it perfectly. A lot of people don't do it well at all because they've come up in an environment where it wasn't required. Well, or they didn't think it was required, but everybody can get additional productivity out of people. So where do you start? You start with getting those people around you that are around you every day that you lead and you say, I'm embarking on a journey. I'm gonna to try to be a better leader. Here are the things that I'm trying to work on. Caring is at the center and here's what caring looks like in our environment. Here's what respect looks like, which is listening to you until you feel heard. Then there's the trust factor. You gotta be able to trust me and I gotta be able to trust you or we're not gonna be able to carry this thing forward and be productive and grow in our leadership acumen. We just can't do that until we do that well. So you, you enroll the people in your own journey and, and be open, that's being vulnerable. So you have to have the caring, respect, and trust before you can show vulnerability credibly. Right. And I know, I know these are words that people are not used to hearing in these kinds of environments, but they actually are describing actual behaviors that people have out there. They just haven't had a way of showing it before. But enrolling those people, that's the main and the starting point of, uh, of growing the, the leadership journey. I think it's been so difficult over over the years because, like you said earlier, it's been such a masculine industry, and it's it's those words typically don't come up in they don't normal not, conversations. Not right? unless you're Southwest Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> you don't hear love in the boardroom. Right, right, yeah. All right, Rod. So you mentioned earlier about people needing to change. How does someone go about trying to make that personal change? What I mean. We, we talked about the change, but what, what, are, what are some advice you can give to someone to make that change? You know, that's, that's a great question, uh, Tommy, and it was the, uh, the thing in my thesis work that I did that really, uh, it was the unknown. It was like I, people know what to do. They seem to be able to recite what to do, but they can't seem to do it. So what's the, what's the gap? What's the difference? And it's, it's that personal change. And so I was trying to figure out a way, well, how can we coach people in doing deep personal change? And you know, there wasn't a, a logical way to start thinking about that. And so I started thinking about who are the greatest, most effective personal change model people in the world. And I did a lot of reading about that. And it came down to something that I didn't really think I would find myself there, but it was Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I compared what Alcoholics Anonymous had done to what I had come up with for a change model. And I got lucky, or I got fortunate, or I read a bunch of stuff, and it turned out that it was uh, mapping pretty accurately over the top of it. It spells go lead. Let me walk you through it right quickly. Okay, sure. Go lead. Go, the word go. Lead. Lead is an acronym. Okay, all right. Starts with go. John Cotter, the father of change management from Harvard, said <laughs> very eloquently, the main reason people don't change is they don't get started. They don't get started. So go. Go is get started, which is the same as Alcoholics Anonymous saying, my name is Rod and I have a problem. Right. So let's get started. So L-E-A-D. L is leave the past behind. Grieve your old habits, but leave them behind. You have to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to interrupt people in a meeting. I'm not going to be the person that knows it all in the meeting. I'm going to be the person that's most curious. So leave your past behind. That's L. E, have an emotionally compelling reason to change. An emotionally compelling reason. People in safety need an emotionally compelling reason to be safe. I've said my whole career, the safest person on the job is the person who got hurt last. And the next safest person is the person who watched it happen. That's an emotionally compelling reason to change. 
Most people need that emotionally compelling reason to change in their leadership pra practices because they're doing those same bad habits at home. They're interrupting people. They're talking over people. They're the smartest person in the room. They're not listening. So leave the past behind. And then have an emotionally compelling reason. And then the A, just like an Alcoholics Anonymous has a sponsor, you need an accountability partner. You need somebody who can see your behaviors daily. They can say, hey, Tommy, you asked me to be your accountability partner. You asked me to, f to watch when you were interrupting folks and let you know. And you remember in that meeting we had just now when you kind of talked over Sally when she had that really important point or was important to her? So having that accountability partner is that trustworthy partner that you are not going to get mad at when they come to you and they say, hey, here's that thing you asked me to look for. So... L, leave the past behind. E, have an emotionally compelling reason. A, have an accountability partner. And then D, in the absence of being able to do the others, just start doing it. Just doing it, just do it until it feels right. And it's kind of like those jeans that you wash. And you put them on after they come out of the dryer and they're so tight they hurt. And for me, it's 10.30 in the morning. <laughs> 10.30 in the morning, usually those jeans are stretched out and they're not hurting me anymore. I don't notice that they're so tight. And so leadership is kind of like that. It's going to feel uncomfortable and it's going to feel awkward. And the people are going to look at you like you got three heads because you're doing something different. But if you just keep doing it, you'll eventually get that positive feedback from people that, oh, you're trying to be a better leader. You enrolled us in that. We get it now. It feels good. When you get that feedback, it propels you to do it even more. So then you go back and you can capture the go lead model once you get just start doing it. So that that is a way that people can tackle that personal change that is in front of them to make the difference between knowing what to do and actually being able to do it. And so accountability partner that that kind of goes into mentorship, right? We, we, we've been talking about mentors in this industry for a long time, but that could also be a, a role of your mentor that that you have in leadership, correct? Absolutely, and I've seen mentorship change a lot over the years. When I first got into the business, mentorship means that you're riding in the, in the shotgun seat of a pickup truck and watching somebody else do something. That's the way mentorship started. And now we've advanced to a point where we understand that mentorship is mutual. You learn from each other. Mm -hmm. we, we actually have a program in a lot of companies where you qualify to be a mentor. It doesn't just happen. It was happenstance before. Now we're going to make it programmatic. There's going to be some training about how to be a good mentor and a, men a mentee, how to choose the right person, how does a relationship work. You know, it's not just about giving you the secrets to getting to the C-suite anymore. Mm -hmm. It's about how to be a better person, how to be a better leader. Hey, watch me do this kind of thing. I learned the hard way. I don't want you to have to, that kind of stuff. Yeah, we, we, we kind of take for granted sometimes that our mentors have to be like you said, a, a very high-ranking official. But sometimes the best mentors are the people who will just look you in the face and tell you what you need to hear. <laughs> exactly. Not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Unfiltered. Right? Unfiltered, yeah. right. No, that's right. And, and, and sometimes, um, you know, even companies that have formal programs, informal mentorship happens anyway right. on the side at the water cooler. And by the way, we used to think water cooler talk was a waste of time. Now it actually has a clinical name. It's called social capital. Social capital. <laughs> a lot of valuable information gets exchanged at the water cooler these days that we didn't give ourselves credit for before. Right. Yeah. So, so over your, your 41 years and your 27 years uh, after you went through back to school, 
what have you seen in the industry? I mean, you have to have seen such a such a, a a great career. What are some of those things that you've seen evolve? That you what are what are the things that have evolved that are good, and what are the things that have evolved that may not be so good, and what are the things that you you want to see evolve? Yeah, well, uh, gosh, that's that's a, a a big question with probably a longer answer than you're prepared for, but. When I got into the business, there were no fax machines. The first fax machine I ever saw was the size of a welding unit. <laughs> and now you can do it on your phone, right? right. Um, we, had to, we had to call the office by finding the tallest hill that could connect to a radio tower we could call from our car in our, on a radio. And I've lived long enough that we've got virtual reality now where we can put people in hazardous situations without it being hazardous. Mm -hmm. They can see it happening in front of them. And then I think the next thing to come along is artificial intelligence where you'll have some sort of badge or a headset or something that's going to say, Rod, you're about to enter this vessel. We know the pressures, the dangers. Here's what you need to be aware of. Do these things. I think that's the next big thing. Artificial intelligence is going to be a very big player in safety. But, uh, you know, the things that, that haven't, that haven't gone well, and it's not, uh, it's, it's um, I'm not sure how to, uh, to, to articulate it really, except that we've enabled the world to access us 24 hours a day. Don't get me on a soapbox about social media, Rod. It's not just social it. media. I'm getting, you know, we're, I've worked in international companies and I work in a, in a coast-to-coast -coast company, you know, four time zones, and then when I was international before, the phone would go off all night. And when you're, when you're living that imposter syndrome, you're trying to really do a great job in a job you're not quite prepared for, you're trying to do the best you can. And so you answer every text, every email, no matter what time of day. And, and it blurs that work-life balance. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm talking about rest versus work. And, and so I think people are overstressed compared to what they used to be when you couldn't access people when they left the office. Right. And I think, so that's, that's a negative that's come. It, there's a lot of positive that comes with that, but I think it takes discipline and I think it takes a sensitive and caring supervisor and leader to say, hey, if I send you a text after eight o'clock at night, I'm not expecting you to answer it at that time. If, if I am, I will send another note right behind it to say, hey, this, is, this has happened or this is very important. So that, I think, in all of my years, that would be kind of the negative that's out there. I need you to repeat that. It's very important, Rod, and make sure my, my boss hears that. <laughs> so you're saying that it's okay not to answer the text messages and the emails that come in at all hours of the night. It might be, Tommy. I think you need to get uh, some uh, written approval for that. But, yeah, I think that's appropriate. Excellent. And so, so what are some, uh, going back to that original question, what are some things that, uh, we, we've come a long way, but you'd like to see go a little bit further? I mean, is it just in, in leadership? I know you mentioned virtual reality, which is awesome. Virtual reality is coming on, on really strong right now. And it's right. I mean, you can put people in situations that, uh, you can talk about, but until you're actually in that situation, you know, the, the, the thing I go back to everybody, when you're growing up, you say, oh, if I was in that situation, I'd do this and this and this. But when you're in that situation, in that moment, you don't know how you're going to respond. And so what we can do with virtual reality now is we can actually put people in that moment. 
and and then and try to get them to respond right yeah i just read uh, kai fu lee's book um ai superpowers not long ago and the things that he puts out there uh that are happening now you know we, we bought a refrigerator during covid that actually inventories what's in my refrigerator and has the capability of creating a shopping list for the things that are getting low and Kai-Fu Lee says we actually have the technology that a system can read what your shopping list is and automatically send it to the grocery store and have it delivered to your house. And that's a little scary, but, <laughs> but, I, but, but when you think of what's possible with safety, you know, with artificial intelligence um, and virtual reality, I'm excited for, for saving all of those lives that we would have lost without that intelligence entering into those decisions that people are making daily out there. I just, you know, it's so new that I can't imagine what it looks like right now, but I think it's, it's capable of doing some things for us that we haven't been taking advantage of up to now. And I think, I think the idea of artificial intelligence has been around for a while because we always, we study trends, right? And we study metrics and KPIs and things like that. And all artificial intelligence is, is just creating a computer that does all that studying for us. Right. But, but, you know, when you think about it in terms of a doctor, so you go to a doctor and they take all these measurements about you, they ask you a lot of questions, and then they're processing from what they know in their head, from their schooling and their experience, what's wrong with you and what they need to do. Now we can take that same data and actually put the actual logic in there that's going on in their head and duplicate what that doctor is doing with some predictability from person to person and not relying on that person's recall in the moment. Mm -hmm. if they had a bad night or they hadn't slept well and they forget something. So intel artificial intelligence won't do that. It won't allow that to happen. But Kai-Fu Lee says it will never replace people because nobody wants to hear they have five months to live from a machine. Right. You know, they need a, a person. And I, I do think the caring part is something that a machine can't do. Well, it's that emotional part, right? And, and lead, it's that emotional uh, point where you have to actually have, you have to have a human emotion involved in it, right? So what are some other technologies that you may have seen or, or, or heard of that are coming out that are assisting in training and things over your career? Uh, actually, uh, Dick Hanna and I did some work at a company we were at on uh, microlearning. And using that cell phone, that is both a, a blessing and a curse, uh, using that cell phone to, to get learning to be more sustainable. So we can touch that person more frequently in between the yes and no training that they do and, and, and looking at the PowerPoint presentations. But in between, we can test them. Hey. You know, tell us about a situation where you had where you used that. Or do you remember this aspect of training and, and how have you used it lately? So, uh, so micro-learning with six, eight-minute burst trainings that are more consumable mm -hmm. and retainable, and then using that over and over to make it sustainable, I think is a great tool. Uh, it, 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 when I think about it now, I think we first talked about it four or five years ago. So it might even be outdated now. There's probably something even better now. But, but using those tools to make learning learning and not just training, I yeah. think, makes the big difference. I mean, it, it's, it's so true because in the moment of learning, when your brain is learning, you're, you're, you're grasping new things. But the moment you walk out of the classroom, what happens? 
life happens, right? And you instantly start forgetting a certain amount of that stuff. And if you can re-engage the brain a little bit more to remember that stuff, you can, you can find that filing cabinet a lot easier in your head. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think that also goes to the value of tailgate talks every day so that people get smaller snippets of, of their safety world. Um, it also gives that audience for that leader to be in front of people and say, hey, I'm working on myself. Here's some things I want to try with you guys um, to, to be a better leader for you and to solicit that feedback from people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's also part of that sustainability of the learning is the live conversation, not just this, the cell phone uh, ping that you get. Right, right. Uh, we're taught when in, in any training world, you're taught that the most important person in to, to make training stick is the manager after the training. Right. Yeah, because right. To, to hold them accountable. Right. Just like you said in your in your lead acronym, just to hold them accountable to the training that they just got. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so what we didn't get a chance to talk about as part of a longer conversation is that uh, the leadership system ends up with relationships. So caring, respect, trust, mm-hmm. empathy, vulnerability, psychological safety, all of that is the same elements of your family relationships of your best friend relationships and when you build those relationships it opens up channels of communication and it helps people be more open with things that are wrong or that need to be better and and you don't want to disappoint that person it actually leads to more productivity you oftentimes get when i teach when i teach this to people they say well if i do that people are just going to take advantage of me and they're not going to actually do their work i would argue that they're going to do more work for you because on Friday afternoon at 4.30, when that boss comes around and says, I have an hour and a half long project, you know, I wouldn't ask you if it wasn't important. If you have a relationship with that person, you don't want to disappoint them, you're going to stay and do it and miss your happy hour. Right. If you don't have a relationship with that person, meaning they haven't engaged caring, respect, and trust, and empathy, and psychological safety, you're going to go to happy hour. You're going to point to the next person. Absolutely. See if they'll yeah. do it. Right? Yeah. He's, he's, he always stays late. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you and our generous sponsors. Thank you for your support. Now, back to the show. All right, thank you. We're back continuing with our our topic on leadership with our guest, uh, Rod Branch. And uh, Rod, you mentioned earlier um, about uh, the, the difference in leadership, but what are some of the best leaders you've you've encountered in your illustrious career and and why were they so good um you know it's not a requirement to be charismatic to be a great leader um i think it is a requirement to be inspiring and i've there were two people um names that are probably well known um certainly in the industrial services environment uh, one in houston bob pfeiffer and then uh, uh, Jeff Nyberg, who's, who's now retired, but uh, he was in the industrial services sector as well. And the thing that I think about, you know, when I think about those two people is that they can be, um, they can work both sides of their brain at the same time. There's a business objective, and then there are people that are required to get the job done. And they do a great job of connecting those people to the purpose. Here's why we're doing this, whether it's a layoff or whether it's a promotion. They were able to give the business case, make people okay with it, you know, I, okay, I get it, I understand it. 
um, intellectually understanding at least. They were sympathetic. They were empathetic. And, and I, when I think about those two, um, I don't know about Bob's training, but I know Jeff Nyberg was a, a bootstrap guy. He came up from working on vacuum trucks in the winter in Colorado, you know, in the gr- on the ground, uh, to being a senior vice president of uh, one of the largest industrial services companies in the country. And he didn't do that uh, by accident. He was one of the greatest writers that I've known as well. He could communicate those same sentiments in a, in a letter as he could in person. Uh, but it was about the connection to the people, building those relationships. And with those relationships, he can say and do things that other people would not be able to say and do. Mm-hmm. I had an experience similar to that. Uh, a past manager I had uh, called me in his office, and we sat in there and we had a conversation. And when I left, I realized that I had just been reprimanded but I'd never felt so good about it coming out of the office <laughs> before because I thought he just, I just got reprimanded, but I feel really good about it right now. I, and it was, it was amazing. Right. And, and you're right. It, it was because that person had, had invested in me and showed me how much he cared. And you're right. He, he could say things to me that I didn't take personal because I just felt like he was trying to help me. Exactly. And I think that is, you know, we could go back into the leadership model and I could show you where that happens, but it, it's, it's about that caring, respect, and trust. Once you build that with somebody and they trust you, and that you're not going to lie to them, that you're not going to blow smoke, that you're not going to make things up, um, and you can tell them the truth in a way that they can hear it, then that makes all the difference. Right. And that's more important nowadays, of course, with different generations entering the workforce you have to relate to those those type of people right i mean there's we we've all heard the 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 stereotypes of the the young people entering the workforce and and that's more important to them nowadays than say the the previous generations that were more about just getting the work done and more masculine it's more about the caring so you're probably seeing a lot of a lot of the new people coming into the industry actually really gravitating to that that concept right yeah, these uh, the the Gen Xers and the the younger of uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the younger of the millennials, th- they will tell you that they're really interested in development, mm-hmm. and and that caring piece comes across as as you're developing them for their next experience. That's for some just as important as the paycheck, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and I think it's you know particularly for for leaders who are 45 years of age and, and older to be respectful of what these desires are and not to scoff at, well, you know, you should have, you should have been around when I broke out because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what I had way to do. back then yeah. uphill both ways. Right. 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 You know, they're not going to respond to that anymore. They don't really care about that. Uh, but they're still valuable people. They just come to us from a different angle. Right. Right. And, and most people, you know, we have something that happens. I mean, I, I've talked to many safety guys. I've, I've talked to a lot of people. And, and you mentioned earlier, you know, the safest guy is the person who had something happen to him, right? And, and I can really attest to that through the years is that most people who are, are really great safety or, or, or leaders have something that happened to them or that they experienced that gave them a new outlook, uh, what, what is that for you? What, what is some of the worst things that are, you know, obviously we don't want to put too many names in it, but what, what are some of the worst things that really changed your entire perspective? 
um, you know, unfortunately, in, in my role, I get to see um, some of the worst things, both mm-hmm. from a business standpoint and, and from a personal standpoint for people. And unfortunately, there were four different times when we lost one of our coworkers in the line of duty. Um, you know, and, and you know, I had to be the one to show up in that family's living room and, and explain as much as I could explain about what happened and how much we hurt and how much we cared mm-hmm. uh, about that person and their family and we were going to do everything we could to take care of them but i will tell you to stand in the living room of a family uh, and and have that conversation you'll never forget it and it will forever make you more um, intent on creating a safe environment for people caring for people who are standing next to you who are doing the wrong thing and and helping them understand that you're only coaching them out of how much you care Mm -hmm. not out of uh, just uh, showing them that you're smarter than they are that's not what it's about Uh, but but those are some indelible moments i'll never forget them and uh, i don't want to i don't want to do another one Mm -hmm. you know unfortunately our industry is you know, is fraught with those kinds of things that are out of sometimes out of our control, at least knowable control. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that that those are those are the marks that are left on me. Yeah, and and, and that goes again back to your lead uh, acronym, right? Is that emotional piece? And and uh, sometimes when you're you obviously had to go through a, a real painful experience to to see that and, and to get that emotional connection, but that would make you in the field, you might come off as a little hard, but really it's just, you don't want to go through to their family and go through that same thing again, right? You know, what it does do is that it gives you some credibility in that conversation. If you have to say, look, I've had some experiences with this that didn't go well, and here's what it could end up looking like. And it, it gives it some gravity and some weight, you know, and it's not just you being um, a a know-it-all in front of them. Right, right. And so to, to close up, what is the acronym again? Go lead. Go lead. Go get started. L, leave the past behind. E, have an emotionally compelling reason to change. A, get that accountability partner. And D, like Nike, just do it. <laughs> so where could, uh, where would someone find some more information about this? Uh, I have a website for um, where I house all of my writings and things, my, some of my studies, and it's uh, www.wholeheartmind.com. So whole heart meaning the W-H-O-L-E, yes. whole heart. Wholeheartmind.com. And if you'd like to uh, reach out to my personal email address, it's rodbranch00 at gmail.com, rodbranch00 at gmail and i'm happy to respond to those um anytime i i've got a lot of research i can point people to um if, if you're interested in a particular topic that i brought up today they can go back go back and uh, and, and do a deep dive on those okay and i actually do these kinds of talks around town you know if a company was interested in having me come in and talk over a lunch and learn i can certainly make time to do that 
Um, you know, I, I run HR for a, a large building contractor here, Arxis, in town. We're uh, 27 states and 700 people, but we believe in safety as well. And we, uh, uh, the company has been very gracious in allowing me to give these presentations around town to HR communities, but also to uh, private companies as well. So uh, we're, we're happy to, to spread the joy that way. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Rod, it was awesome having you as a guest today. I appreciate your time. I know you're a very busy person, uh, but I do appreciate the taking the time to come talk with us. About Tommy, this. it was an absolute pleasure. And anytime you want me to do it again, I'm happy to be here. All right. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for listening to Building Safe Workplaces. Be sure to tune in next time for another exciting episode. Till then, stay safe and stay healthy.